Welcome to the Yogi Therapist Podcast, where we talk all things mental health, personal growth, and spiritual development. I'm your host, Rachel, a psychotherapist and yoga teacher based in Sydney. This is your space to gain new insights and tools so that you can live a life that feels aligned and meaningful. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Yes, it is just me. I promise I will bring our guest in a moment, but I wanted to just start this by letting you know that Caitlin and I actually did this episode a few months ago and the universe decided that we needed a redo because the audio files got corrupted and were totally unusable. So this is actually take two and I'm so glad we got to do it again because she is such a wealth of knowledge and wisdom. And I know that I learn so much from her every time that we speak. So let me stop being elusive and tell you about my guest. Today, I am joined by Caitlin Erica, a women's empowerment coach based in Sydney. She trained as a doula and felt really called to guide women through birth, not just as a physical, but as a spiritual experience. But right after she finished her training, She felt called by the universe to become a stripper. She felt like there was a part of her training that was to be found in a script club. She shares this story in our conversation, so I'll leave it to her. But she really is now such a leader in women's empowerment. And I think she has beautifully integrated sensuality and spirituality. I'm so excited for you to hear the medicine that is this conversation. And I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode please slide into my DMs and let me know how this landed for you. Let me know what you thought of our conversation. Here is a conversation with a spiritual stripper. Welcome back to the Yogi Therapist podcast. I am joined by someone that I've already had a conversation with and the recording, I had to surrender it up to the universe because it decided that we needed to meet again and do this again. And the conversation was so powerful and so important and made me think for about two months straight. So I was like, we need to redo this. Caitlin, you studied as a doula and immediately after God told you to become a stripper. Tell us about that journey. Yeah, well, it was very unexpected. Um, I was dreaming of being woken up at 3 a.m., getting that call, like it's time and wanted to be welcoming children into the world. And uh, I actually got tipped off by my spiritual teacher. And she said, I feel like you're not going to start taking on doula clients straight away. There's something else that life wants to teach you that no doula school is, is going to teach you. And she said, I feel like the path is going to be seemingly unrelated. Like you're going to be thinking, what am I doing working in a fruit shop or wherever it is that you land? Like, what has this got to do with birth keeping? She said, but just trust the path because I promise you wherever life leads you next, it is absolutely related to birth work. Fast forward to a couple of months later, I'm moving through some big emotions on the floor of my boyfriend's bedroom. And uh, he comes up and sees me dancing and gets excited and asks if he can stay and watch. And yeah, sure. I didn't think anything of it, but I actually felt all of my presence just shift and I was no longer in my body. I wasn't embodied. I was up here in my mind 
hyper aware that I was being watched and just wondering what does this look like? How how does this look to him? And and I felt this shyness and I thought, okay, all right, I've I've got more work to do. Because at the time I'd had this idea to do dance workshops for pregnant women to help get them out of their busy minds and into their bodies. Like what is yeah, what is your body asking of you right now? And so having this moment where I was just not in my body. I thought, okay, well, I can't offer the medicine of dance. Like, I've got to walk my talk. Mm-hmm. So I just had this thought, like, right, I've got more work to do. And then this voice dropped in and said, go to a strip club. And I kind of laughed it off at first. I was like, right, okay. And came back and said, no, no, really, go to a strip club. The women there have access to something that you don't, and they're your next teachers. So it took me a couple of weeks to build up the courage and, and uh, I was thinking, oh, my gosh, what am I going to learn about birth from strippers? What am I going to learn about life from strippers? You know, lesson number one in humility, still had some prejudices of my own that I carried. And, um, yeah, I went in into that initiation, into that job, eyes wide open, really aware that, okay, I'm here to learn something. Every interaction, every person, every trigger is my teacher, which is always the case anyway. Um, but sometimes we're aware of it and sometimes we're not. And really I just, it was the most consolidated school, like period of learning that I've ever had where I just got to confront all of my conditioning. And the way that I saw it was like, okay, I've got all these beliefs that I'm carrying around. Which ones uh, am I holding because someone passed passed it on to me and which ones actually resonate with me and which ones do I actually want to keep? So I just got to filter through everything and check my conditioning around shame. What makes a woman respectable? Um, Male-female relating, female-female relating, competition in the sisterhood, freedom of expression, sensual expression, just like all of these different areas of life that I got to to see from from a different angle and it was really amazing and and what i really learned is how much shame is projected onto the female body and held by us in our bodies especially around the reproductive organs this organ group that we use to grow to our babies if we have them you know mm. There are two things in there that I just love so much. And the first is this idea of walking the talk. That if you want to be someone that leads in this lifetime, that you have to have walked the path that you want to guide people down. I love the idea of initiation, that in order for you to really understand where people have been, you need to have been there first. And I guess in order to understand where they're going, you have to have completed your own journey. You need to have gone to those depths. You need to open and surrender to these calls. I um, I remember when I was studying to be a therapist, I was um in my undergrad. My therapist said to me, look, if you really want to be a therapist and you want to help people and hold people in their darkest moments, if you want to sit with them at the edge of human experience it's only right that you go there first that you wrestle with things like depression anxiety you know struggles with eating and sexuality 
so that when you have someone sitting on your couch, you can say, I've been there. And it created this really beautiful reframe for me that created so much space and permission so that when the next challenge is presented, I can go inward and ask, what part of me is this waking up? The current version of myself might not be able to handle this issue, but there will be a part of me that rises to meet the challenge, that's born the second that I need it. And the other thing, the second thing that I loved was the idea of surprise teachers, that these strippers were your teachers. You know, you went in there like, what the hell am I going to learn from these women? And I imagine that there was stereotypes or beliefs that you had about them, which are pretty common. You know, the, the ideas that we have around sex work and sex workers, that maybe they're not very intelligent or maybe they don't really want to be doing it. And what I'm curious about is what is it that you learnt in that strip club? I know you said that there were beliefs that you realized weren't yours, but what was it that God sent you in there to discover? Okay, so I definitely had some prejudices and and believed the stigma, right? So before entering the strip club myself, I thought that, you know, maybe like strippers didn't really have other options. Um, that they didn't necessarily, that that wasn't, probably wasn't their first choice or if it was, maybe it was because they're a little bit lost. And so before I ever went in there, I had to sit with the potential that, okay, what if I think that I'm being sent on this mission by God, like spirits leading me down this path? Like there was a, there was a part of me that was excited that was like, I get to be a stripper. And it's okay because God said it's okay, right? (laughs) It was actually God mandated. Yeah. God said, hey, go put a thong on, go get in that strip club. Yeah, that's so funny. I'm waiting to get that call. Wouldn't mind receiving that one if you're listening, big man. Like I'm allowed, you know, which only speaks to that desire that we have and we're just waiting for permission. And yeah, so that really spoke to to the desire we have and we're just waiting for the permission. And then, you know, I had to sit with, okay, what if that's what I'm thinking, that God's sending me to the strip club, but actually I'm in delusion? Like, what if I'm just really lost and confused and, you know, if I go down this path, I can't undo it. You know, am I going to damage my, myself, my soul, my body? Am I, what if it, what if it turns out that I actually know they were right? School, society, all of that, the stigma they were right, I was lost, and then I'm going to have to come back with my tail between my legs or, you know, feeling ashamed. And so I just sat with that and I thought, well, that would be okay. Like, I'm allowed to make a mistake. I'm allowed to live. And if I come out of this realizing, yeah, they were right, I can just say, you know what, I tried that for a while. It really didn't feel good. It really didn't feel good. I learned a lot from it. And I can just have that stillness, that anchored, like not feel charged about it, not feel like I've ruined my life because I live, you know, and I can just sit with compassion for the human experience and 
for the curiosity that I had. And so I went in there giving myself permission to get it wrong. And the first night I worked and like I was trembling, like I'm sitting there and I've got this like shawl on me and I'm thinking, Caitlin, it's not, you're not cold, you're nervous. (laughs) The shawl's not going to do anything. And I'm thinking, what's going to happen when I go up on stage? This is just going to be so embarrassing. Like, I'll be up there trembling. That's so not sexy. And the doors were open, but we didn't have any customers yet. So we're all sitting around. And one of the dancers up on the stage playing around. There's mirrors all around. She's checking herself out. She's got her phone down filming herself. And I think she's just got hair extensions. Not that she needed an excuse, but, you know, she was just loving on herself. And I'm sitting maybe two meters away from her just cringing and wanting the earth to open up and swallow me whole and I'm thinking what am I doing here like these are not my people like where am I why am I here and then this other wiser part of me came up and said Caitlin standing in front of you is a woman who's decided that she's going to enjoy her body in this lifetime and why shouldn't she and do you want something else for her like, would you feel more comfortable if she had less confidence, if she were shy? Like, is that what you want for her? Is that what you want for yourself? So I was like, all right, all right, checkmate. <laughs> I know I'm here. Yeah. And it was permission. Like, really permission. I had this one moment standing on stage, dancing in a thong, just thinking, and I was having the time of my life. I loved it. Like when I finally got up there, I just felt so free and I just got lost in the music and I got paid to be in my body, which was a dream come true. I was actually having, I started dancing when I was living in Berlin and I was having a really hard time over there and I'd wake up every day with anxiety and on the days that I was working, I would just be counting down the hours to, until I got to go to work. And literally be going like, it's okay, it's okay, I'm going to work tonight. I get to just dance this out. I get to just be in my body. So there was one time I'm on stage dancing in nothing but a thong, having the time of my life, thinking, wow, here I am doing the very thing that school, religion, society told me I shouldn't do, that I'm not supposed to want to do, the thing that would devalue me. And I'm still the woman the kind, compassionate, fun woman that I'm so proud to be. And I realized that my purity is is not something that I need to protect, you know, because it's actually innate. It's who we are, not what we do. So it was that big lesson of permission. Mm, As you were talking about the anxiety, that you were struggling with and how you would just count down the hours until you got to work and got up on that stage. I had this image of you at home up in your head, like there's this busyness up in your mind, kind of like, I don't know why this image is coming to me, but like when you put your headphones in your pocket and then all the the wire gets all tangled up, it's just all over the place. It's chaotic. It's messy. It's disorganized. And then in this image, as you get up onto the stage, this energy from your mind just moves down into your body. 
you know, the chaos of your mind, um, it starts up there, but it just kind of drops down, it melts down. And now this awareness, this energy is it's in your hips, it's in your hands, it's in your thighs. And it's just, the energy has just been brought back down into the safety of your body. And what I also love so much is you say that you notice this initial resistance, that you got in there and you saw this woman who was embodied and beautiful and free and you just noticed this judgment. And how often do we stop at that point? We say, no, it just didn't feel right to be in there. I had to leave. I had to get out. I couldn't be around these girls. But what it sounds like you did was that you paused and you sat with it and you said, what's this really about? What does this illuminate within me? You know, what's really being triggered within me by her? And I think that's so powerful, particularly with women, that when we see a woman that really threatens us, oftentimes it's actually that threatens us Oftentimes it's actually illuminating a part of ourselves that perhaps we haven't brought to the surface yet or that we've pushed into the darkness and we've shamed or exiled. And it's actually an opportunity, a permission to bring out that part within yourself. Um, I love this definition of jealousy, which is when I feel jealous of someone, it's not because they have something that I want. It's because they are displaying something that I do have. I'm not giving myself permission to access yet. I actually had a really big teaching moment. There were these unknown surprise teachers. Um, One day I was going to take my dogs for a walk in the park. And given that I was just going to the park, I didn't chuck on anything special. I think I put on a hoodie, chucked on my Crocs and left. And I just felt like really frumpy. And I get there and I see these two beautiful women and they're wearing like tight little shorts and crop tops and they're working out. And I immediately felt a reaction towards them. I think I slipped into judgment and I was like, yeah, you're not even working out. Like, why are you dressed like that? Like, meanwhile, I wear like stuff that's like way more revealing, <laughs> revealing than them. But I, I just felt this contraction around them. And then when I sat with it, what I noticed was they were, uh, they were looking the way I wanted to. I went to the park feeling frumpy and there they were looking sexy. And I was like, this actually has nothing to do with them and everything to do with what's going on within me. Yeah. And like, thank God for all of the women that I've ever been triggered by because they've shown me where I am versus where I want to be. They show me where I'm stuck. They show me where I'm lost. Like they, they're revealing to me who I am, who I'm not, who I want to be. So I started to see, and it, it might be a little bit of a roundabout journey, but stay with me here. I came to see the link between, you know, our disembodiment and birth trauma. I mean, how can we, okay, so the running statistic is that one in three women experience their birth as traumatic. And, and they'll use that term. This is not good enough. So, you know, when we look at that, you start thinking, well, 
Why are these women not confident in birth? Why are they scared? Why is there this expectation that it's going to be um, brutal? Um, and you look at society. You know, I don't want to harp on about the patriarchy, but women are not cut out for this patriarchal system. We're not cut out for working five days a week. Men have a 24-hour hormonal cycle and the 24-hour circadian rhythm. We've got our circadian rhythm, but then we've got a hormonal cycle that is about a month long because of our menstrual cycle. So there are times when we are just not cut out to be pushing. And in our very understandable, innocent efforts to be seen as the equals we are, we're like, okay, hang on, we want to be recognized. Anything a man can do, I can do while bleeding. And we also are engaged in this system where we have to pay rent, we have to earn money, you know, we have to buy food, and we don't get days off for our bleed. So even if you wanted to choose differently, a lot of us don't feel like we can afford to take time off for our bleed. So what do we do? Take a painkiller. What is that saying to the body? When the body is asking you, hey, I need slowness, I need rest, I need tenderness right now, and our response is, well, girl, I'm sorry, but it's a no from me. I know that you're asking this of me, but it is not viable for me to listen to you. I don't feel safe enough to listen to you. Um, I've got to, I've got to go make my money for the man so I can pay rent and eat. And so we have these like micro moments of self-rejection and numbing and they build and build and build. And like from the moment we get our first bleed, a lot of the narrative for most women is that, you know, having, having a period is, it's gross or it's embarrassing or shameful or it's something to hide, like little things like hiding your tampon when you walk to the toilet, you know, how can I, you know, like not show everyone that I've got my period because why or why not? So there are all these moments where we're creating this narrative around the female body needs to be fixed, medicated, uh, it's cursed, is, um, yeah, got so much negativity around it, which is just not true. And so then how can we expect women to birth in confidence in their bodies when confidence in the female body has not been something that has been fostered in our society at large when we're expected to just muscle up, push through, shut her up, and just, like, get on with it. And so then you get into the, into the space of birth and women are looking around, again, very innocently, like, it's understandable. They're looking around outside of themselves to their doctors, their midwives, their doulas saying, help me, how do I birth my baby? Because we don't know how to listen to our own bodies. We don't know how to trust in our own bodies. So many women have had seriously unsafe moments in our bodies simply for existing as a woman. And so the path forward is in shifting that story and starting to listen more. But that's also a societal issue, a societal step. How do we start to respect the feminine more? 
how do we start to respect the female body more for all of our sake? Everyone come through this world via a womb, right? So are we making happy wombs? <laughs> are we honoring it? So yeah, this was this is the the bridge that I draw, you know, and also because of the shame that we hold around sex in in this society, we are not willing to see birth as a sexual event, even though it is. It moves through the sexual organs. It is a product of sex. Hormonally, um, it is very, very similar to orgasm. And what a woman needs in order to birth her baby is the same thing that she needs in order to be able to orgasm. So like the frontal, uh, the neocortex, the frontal lobe of the brain, that's responsible for, you know, humans' uh, advancements and our intellect actually needs to quiet down and take a back seat, both for orgasm and for birth. We need to go back to those older parts of the brain, the mammalian brain, and we need to just feel so totally safe to let go and to open, to release this baby. So if we feel like we're on the clock, if we feel like we're being judged, or, you know, people are coming in, checking on us, like how far dilated are you? Immediately the woman starts to go, is that enough? Where should I be? And she's thinking outside of herself. She's in that brain. The birth is inherently feminine. And the current system has a very masculine way of looking at birth. You know, what do we love about the masculine? The masculine loves to serve. The masculine loves to fix. So the masculine... Um, way of approaching birth is how do we save this woman and this baby from the dangerous throes of birth there's no trust in birth from the masculine's perspective because it's just not masculine territory it's inherently feminine it's in the mystery it's in the darkness um from that feminine space we need to be looking at you know if labor's not progressing then we get to ask okay why isn't this mother feeling safe enough to open up and release her baby? Because she's doing exactly what she needs to do. If labor is not progressing, it's because there's a perceived threat. Because we're just mammals and no mammal can give birth if there's too much adrenaline in the system. It's like, well, this is not a safe t- time or a moment to give birth. So we're just going to um, put a pause on that. I've gone somewhere else. It's the sexuality of birth. So birth is so similar to orgasm. It comes from sex, but because of our puritanical culture and because of this Madonna Hall complex that we're still moving through and dealing with, you know, sex is dirty, babies are pure, so we separate the two. Did you know that if you stimulate the clitoris during a contraction, it can make the contraction feel less painful? painless or even be pleasurable but how many women are willing to explore this in a hospital setting don't be ridiculous i'm not going to push myself while there's a doctor in the room so well okay (laughs) Um, so there's just a lot of shame um and of course because the sad reality is that a lot of women have experienced sexual assault or abuse that comes up again during birth 
it can if a woman hasn't worked through it because you're moving through these organs. And if you're someone who's scared of birth, who doesn't have a deep, profound trust of birth, it can often feel like this happening to you, not through you. And dealing with the same organ group, you know, it might send a woman into a flashback. So it's really a really, really tender space. It's actually a minefield uh, because the system is not serving us. Um, but so many women take it personally and turn in on themselves, and that's not fair and it's not right. Oof, there is so much that I could dive into there. Um, one thing that particularly stood out for me was this idea of micro-rejections of the body, that your body will gently or sometimes not gently communicate a need to you. It says, I need to rest, I need to slow down, I need more iron, I need to move, I need to sleep, whatever it is. And if that doesn't align with our external schedule, we say, sorry, sis, got to keep it moving. <laughs> we, we numb out and we go on. And I think it's such a small moment that probably doesn't even register, but something happens in that moment that matters, which is the building of a relationship between you and your body. And it's just like any other relationship. It's built on tiny moments. Brene Brown gives this really beautiful analogy that trust is like a jar of marbles. And anytime you do something small, you get a marble. Your mom is in hospital and I call you marble. Um, you send me a message on my birthday, even though it wasn't on Facebook and you don't, you know, you didn't get a reminder, you just knew marble. You show up on time marble. And I know that I can trust you because over time I've just seen that you're worthy of trust. That now you've just got a jar full of marbles because in these small moments you've you've given me evidence that I can trust you. And I think the same thing happens with our body. Whenever it speaks, we are offered a fork in the road and do we lean in and listen or do we say, sorry, I don't have time. And I think it's so important to bring light to that, not to shame people for not listening, because I think you're also speaking to this structure that means we can't afford to listen to our bodies. Whether it's social, relational, financial, we can't afford to listen to our bodies. But the result is that over time, our body doesn't necessarily trust us and we don't trust it. You know, we don't trust that our body has our best interest at heart because it's always doing these really inconvenient things. And it's interesting what you were saying about cycles, about women having these 28, 30-day cycles. And, you know, my experience was that I was put on birth control when I was 15. I had acne, as every 15-year-old does. Um, I was also not eating very well. And um, the doctor didn't ask me about my diet. But they were like, oh, you've got acne. Okay, yep, let's put you on birth control. Um, and I struggled with it. I struggled with depression. I struggled with um, a lot of anxiety. And, and, you know, being 15 years old is hard enough. You add artificial hormones in that. And it, it was a tough time for me. And it wasn't until I was probably 26 that I started to really have a look at what it is that I was taking every single day. You know, I was not aware that the pill that I was taking keeps me in the luteal phase of my 
uh, of my cycle, which is, I think that the week before the period starts and it's the week where our body tries to bunker down and it says, okay, we may have fallen pregnant. We need to rest in case that happens. We need to store all our resources and just chill. And so you're usually quite quiet. You're moody, you know, that, that PMS that can happen the week before, um, you get your period. And I didn't stop to think about what would happen to my life if I was stuck in this perpetual um, PMS. And I decided to just come off it and um, and see how I felt. And, you know, I felt almost angry that there was this totally different way of existing with my cycle that I was never taught about. It, when we talk about birth control, we assume it's some um, – artificial hormone we're putting in your body, the idea of just working with your body, of learning to check your temperature, of learning to check your mucus, of noticing subtle shifts in your body, that was never taught. You know, people, they say, oh, it's too unreliable because they assume that we are too busy to check in with our body. And for some people, that's absolutely true. But then maybe we need to have a conversation of priorities. You know, why are we living a life that forces us away from the natural whispers of our body. Oh, neither did I. I read a book that changed my life. I read it. So I briefly had the coil in and I thought, oh, I'll get the non-hormonal coil as if that was any preferred, any, any way more enjoyed by my body. My body hated it. It was really painful, the copper coil. And uh, when I got it removed, the woman said, well, what are you going to do now? I said, well, can't. I just know my body. And she recommended this book for me called Taking Charge of Your Fertility by Tony Weschler. It's like written in the 80s and it's been like re-released several times. When I received it, it was like this massive textbook and I was very intimidated. I was like, oh gosh. But once I started reading it, I couldn't put it down. And I read it with equal parts, like empowerment. Like I felt more connected to my body than I'd ever felt before because I knew what was happening. I was like putting my fingers inside of myself every day to check my cervix and to notice how that changes throughout the month. And yeah, I just, that was really the beginning of my journey of embodiment. But I also read it with equal parts outrage that I had gone so many years of my life without anyone giving me this information and why aren't we giving it to, to every girl at school? Um, so I hear you, feel you. Like, and also understanding that it's not a restriction, it's a superpower. Mm-hmm. We just have to learn how to use this gift that we've got. You know, like they say, an ovulating woman can have you eating out of the palm of her hand. That's when she's like, she's got the most persuasion. She's just alluring. Um, she's got that confidence. Like that's the time to go and ask for that raise. That's the time to pitch an idea. And you know, we women womb holders hold the key that life is cyclical, cyclical within us because of our menstrual cycle. We understand that life is seasonal. We hold the key to life and death and the cycles, that there is a springtime and there's a time to sprout. And then there's that summer full bloom and there's also a time for decay and for that winter and for going in and going quiet. And that's that embryonic space where ideas come to life, you know, where ideas are impregnated, where they're 
you know, every life comes from the darkness. It comes from the void. It comes from the soil, from the dirt, from the unseen. You know, like that, that winter is necessary. You look at any living organism, it's like it's got a life cycle. The trees, the flowers, the blossoms, the season. We're deeply connected to that because of our menstrual cycle. We've just got to learn to see it as our superpower yeah, and to own it yeah. and to feel like there's a really rich quality that I experience now when I'm on my bleed. Like it feels very rich, powerful. In different cultures, um, the time of bleeding was seen to be a very spiritual, psychedelic and like and psychic time for a woman. The cervix is like the doorway of the womb and it's often closed, but it opens up every time a woman is in her fertile phase leading up to ovulation in order to let sperm through to create new life. Then it will open up again during birth to bring forth the baby from uh, the womb space into the human physical world. And then it will also open up when we're bleeding to release what was not meant to be. So some cultures saw the cervix as the doorway between worlds, like the doorway between the spirit world and the physical human world. And so when that doorway is open and a woman is bleeding on her period, that was seen as a time when the, that veil between worlds is lifted. And when women were in cultures where they could have that time to go and be still and to have ritual for their bleed, it was a very psychic time. It was a time when they'd come back with a lot of channeled wisdom. And so the sweat lodges of Native America were actually created for men to try to replicate what a woman would naturally experience with her bleed. You know, the men were like, how can we have like these spiritual moments? How can we open up our psychic gifts? How can we connect to the spirit world like women do? And so sweat lodges were created to replicate our periods. Mm. And I think that's so beautiful because for years I grew up thinking that the period was a curse and like a burden, not realizing because it was never framed to me as anything other than that. You know, what an amazing opportunity we have to show our sisters, our nieces, the next generation, our daughters, that actually when you get your bleed, you're stepping into something really beautiful and special and like let us show you how good it gets to be. You speak a lot about empowerment and embodiment. And we've spoken a little bit about how disembodied women can tend to be given the culture and the demands of, of culture right now. What does it mean to be embodied and empowered? And I would also love if you can link it in. I know that there's three characteristics that you really celebrate when it comes to female empowerment, which is safety, sovereignty, and sexiness. Um, yeah, could you talk a little bit about what it is to be empowered, embodied, and to have those characteristics? So embodiment, I would say, I would explain that as it's living from here. It means we exist here, mm -hmm. which is easy to assume because we're in this body, but so often we're, we're living up here in the mind and we're making our decisions based on 
at some kind of external force or expectation. You know, society says, I need to act this way. I can't do that or it will mean X, Y, Z. And so we so often end up doing things from a place of guilt or obligation, living from a sense of should, I really should do this, as opposed to living from desire or the, the call of your body, which might be like a real hunger to do something. It might be curiosity. It might be a desire to, to cancel an appointment that you've made a commitment to. But, you know, there's an expectation that we need to show up for things and honor our commitments, which is very understandable. And there's a balance to be made because we want to be respectful for other people's times. But what if when our body speaks to us, it's actually truth trying to speak to us and give us a hint? But so often we're not trusting of the calls of our bodies, of the curiosity of our body. and. So we, we live outside of ourselves. We put our, our authority elsewhere. Um, and then there's um, those who have experienced significant trauma can disassociate and they're outside of their bodies in, in that way where it's too painful to, to feel to be present in here. Um, so, you know, why I say I'm, I'm here to help women feel safe in their bodies, sovereign in their bodies and sexy in their bodies is because this is our home. Like this is our first home and we all deserve to feel safe in just existing in who we are. And we deserve to feel sovereign. And that means that we are taking ownership and responsibility for our choices. And we see ourselves as resourced and capable to make decisions like good decisions for ourselves so there's this there's this sense of deep trust and reverence for our body mind spirit connection yeah and why is sexiness important it's not important but find me someone who doesn't enjoy feeling sexy yeah. and that one's really more about permission it's okay to feel sexy it's okay to enjoy that you you touched on this desire for beauty and how good that feels. I mean, everyone enjoys watching a beautiful sunset or standing in awe at the foot of a great mountain or a beautiful tree. We have this understanding that beauty in the natural world is valued, and yet beauty in the human world is shamed. And it's a very fine line because we don't want to be egotistical we don't want to be vain we don't want to be shallow but we've kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater in that because it's just beauty is a value and it's beautiful and it's celebratory and there's nothing wrong with wanting to wear something nice or feel good about yourself or to feel sexy i love that idea of beauty um being of value I think yeah you gave me language for something that's always felt real within me which is this deep love and reverence for beauty I think if I tell you that I love to go to the the art gallery or go out in nature and look at trees you would uh you'd say oh yeah beautiful great good for you but I've always felt this real draw to beautiful people and I want to clarify that I don't mean people that have a certain hip to waist proportion i mean there's some people in the way that they talk 
the way that they use their body to articulate their experience in the way that they make people laugh, you know, in the way that they laugh, it is like a piece of art. I don't know if you've ever come across someone and you're like, you are like watching you exist is like a piece of art. And it's not necessarily about what their teeth or their skin looks like. It's like just the way that they can, you can see this, this connection between their words and their body and it just I would say they're embodied most of the time there we go (laughs) (laughs) you know they've got this life force behind them underneath them moving through them Mm -hmm. and it's less about what they're doing and more about who they're being Mm -hmm. and that that just exudes from them Mm -hmm. or they've got this self-ownership why do we love celebrities my teacher said this to me she said it's not because they're necessarily good at what they do it's because they've got the audacity to go for it and we see that and we want it and we're like, who is this person who is living their dream yeah. and our eyes light up and yeah. we want that. Yeah. yeah. I guess it comes back to like that um, that permission that, that these strippers gave you, which was like permission to film yourself recording, shaking your ass and think that that is a time well spent permission to be in your body and I think about I'm I can become enamored at a strip club like mm-hmm. you sit there and you're like I am watching a real life piece of work and it's not I mean it is that they look great but it's also like the way that they move their body slowly the way that they move it in time with music the way that they look like they could not register anyone in the room because they're just so dropped into their body like I've been in strip clubs and I'm just like, I could sit here and watch for hours like a meditation. Yeah, you're right. It is. It's just they're so embodied and it's it's so beautiful to witness and to be around. And conversely, you can also tell when someone's really disembodied, when they're really unsure and constantly checking and really tense and nervous. And that's totally fine as well. But you can you can feel it. Or they can be doing all the right moves. Mm. But it's just not. Mm. it's not got that life force energy behind it Mm. you know like they're doing the things Mm -hmm. but without the life that eros you know which is is the energy of creation the energy of the sexual energy creative energy if that's not moving through them then the dance can be empty Mm. the walk chat can be empty Mm. you know it's like they're doing all the right things but they're not being. Yeah. And when someone is in their body, you know, it's like they've, they've got a gravitational pull because that's where there's so much of themselves centered in their being, in their physical, and it just pulls people towards them. It's magnetic. You have two babies, not human babies. <laughs> I really got confused then. <laughs> trying out segues and once you hear them you'll be like oh i do you have strip her so i've got strip her which is the eight-week program where i teach women to strip yes it's mostly a metaphor but it is about stripping away that conditioning all the stories that make us feel like we're not enough and we're too much all at the same time it's this beautiful intimate space with women it's a live journey and it's just magical and then I have a one-night event, which is like a pop-up strip club. So it's strip her, the, there's strip her, and then there's strip her, the pop-up. So the pop-up is like 
it's like a strip club that pops up for one night for women only where the guests are the dancers mm. and the stage is open to all to be celebrated. So women come, they wear whatever makes them feel sexy and we each get to, if they want, take a turn taking up space, mm. being celebrated by a room of women who just want to like scream and cheer and uplift them. They get to express this part of themselves, their sensuality, their eros this aspect of ourselves that we're so used to having to hide, definitely from society and sometimes even from ourselves. And then this is that safe space to express that part of ourselves without feeling like anyone wants something from us. And that's really, really beautiful too. And I have these like um, like printed money, but it's not money. They're praises we call and they're these beautiful, like words of affirmation that we tip each other with and just praise each other and it's delicious. There's something specifically about women cheering for each other and celebrating each other and seeing each other. It is this really powerful medicine that I have um, come to appreciate a little bit later in my life. You know, I think as much as I love my partner and I love my partner, there is something so unique and essential for my soul that is the female friendships that I have, the way that women can just drop in and hold space for each other so quickly. There's this shared understanding. There can be this really softness with which you can hold someone's experience. It's just so powerful. And I think there is so much of an emphasis today on, on finding and cultivating healthy romantic relationships. And I'm a big advocate for that. I think having a really healthy relationship can add so much to your life. And I think not enough is spoken about how important female relationships can be in your life. Having those few women in your life that can hold you and that can be your bones when your bones give out and that can that can reflect back what you need to hear, who can celebrate you, it is such a, a gift that we've been given. And I can only imagine how potent that would be at the stripper pop-up club. Oh yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. And you speak to something that's true, but it's also something that so many women lack, you know, this hunger. When I was in Berlin, when I started stripping, it was a really isolated time in my life and I was incredibly lonely. And I was yearning for this sisterhood. I was yearning for these women and very specifically women who were tapped into their sensuality. Like I just had this dream of living in the house of women where we could walk around naked. I was terrified of being naked in front of people at the time. I had this vision of like, if I can just like get around women who feel comfortable in themselves, maybe some of it will rub off onto me. And so, you know, down the track, I've ended up creating what I was yearning for. And I joke that, you know, we're healing the sisterhood one strip tease at a time because there's so many sisterhood wounds. You know, the competition with women, the who does she think she is, the manipulation that some of us have used and been met with, like, you know, it's just part of the messy human experience. But a lot of women are scared of other women. I was scared of other women. My teacher said to me, it's kind of funny that you're doing all of this women's work seeing as you're terrified of women. <laughs> so much more comfortable with men. And I'm like, yeah, it's the wounded healer. Because it's, you know, it's this fear but also this hunger like famished i've been famished to come back to the feminine 
have gone through life and reached a certain point where they've not really had much pleasure in sex or they've not known how to orgasm. And I mean, I even had the experience of like wanting my boyfriends to figure me out, you know, and like figure out what makes me tick and work. And, and then I realized that I was, I was like palming that off to someone else and not taking responsibility for my own pleasure. But it's because I didn't feel safe exploring my pleasure. Like I, I was actually as a child um, very curious and exploring my body. Like I remember being in preschool and um, yeah, I had my friend and we'd go hide in the closet and take off our clothes. And it was just this real innocent curiosity, like the erotic innocence. And then when I learned that that was not appropriate and that was not okay, as I got older, I'd look back on those times being like, oh my gosh, like, like deviant, like, oh my gosh, are my kids going to do that? Whoever I, whoever I end up with and marry, like, I'm going to have to tell him like, our kids might be like, like little sex freaks, like, sorry. I just assumed that no other human was like that yeah. and that this was some like, Shame. Like hypersexual, yeah. shameful part of me. And I really suppressed my eros so much that I remember being in high school and overhearing a conversation at a party where a girl was telling a guy, of course girls masturbate. Like if any girl tells you she doesn't masturbate, she's lying. And I just remember thinking, do we? Because <laughs> I certainly didn't. I was like, my hands don't go there. A lot of, I grew up in a Catholic family and just that stuff in my in my world was not okay I had a lot of shame so then when I was in you know relationships that felt you know good and it was like a committed union and I felt safe to explore sex I still I didn't know what made me what pleased me I didn't know what turned me on I didn't know how to use my body how to explore or navigate my own body and like this is one of those things like we use sex as a tool, we can use sex as a tool to figure out what we like and to practice being in our bodies. How does this feel? How does that feel? How does this feel? You know, and it's in, again, these micro moments, same as women, you know, do, do you eat when you're hungry and when your body says, I yearn for food right now, or do we eat according to a schedule and to a regime? So all of these it's in all of these moments where we're not living from the body, from the intuitive moment-to-moment curiosity or desire of the body. We're living according to some kind of schedule or routine or expectation that we or someone else has set that's not intimate with the moment-to-moment experience of the body. I love that idea of living from the body, but also living from desire, which I know is something that you brought up previously. And I I, I heard it from one of my spiritual teachers, and it, it sounds quite similar to what I think you've been saying, which is those impulses, those desires, those feelings, and those that curiosity, that's a big one, is a divine compass. And it doesn't mean that you have to go down that path or something will go wrong. It's not a demand, it's an invitation. And that can sound really abstract. And people are like, okay, great. What do you mean live from desire and live from curiosity and live from the body? And 
And it started off as simple as when I was hungry, what did I feel like eating? And can I ask my stomach? And again, that might sound, you know, how does, how does someone ask their stomach? But what I would do is I would put my hand on my stomach and, and ask it, what do you want tonight? Do you want, um, do you want me to go and get takeout? Do you want me to eat fresh fruit? How much do you want to eat? And I would kind of get this, this sense of like, yes, no, yes, no, trying to figure it out. And it can be the exact same process as flipping a coin, right? If I say to you, do you want Chinese or pizza tonight? And you're like, oh yeah, I don't know. We could flip a coin and it lands. What's important is not what the answer is. What's important is how you react to it. I got tails. I really wanted her. Oh, I'm a bit disappointed. And you go, aha, your disappointment is your body speaking. Mm. And slowly starting to cultivate that practice of what feels disappointing, what feels exciting, what do you feel curious about, what bores you. Trusting that, you know, and that's living from your body and not up in your head. And how easy is it to say, oh, I should probably pick up another day at work. I should probably schedule in some more clients. I should probably X, Y, Z. But it doesn't feel right. And now I'm in the practice because I've, I've, I've practiced it so much and I trust it. I think I live like at least 90% from my body and it doesn't have to make any sense. Because it doesn't. Yeah, but it, but it also, it does. <laughs> I live a life that genuinely feels so pleasurable. Like I love being me. I love everything in my life. And there is a component of privilege in that. I have a lot of access. I'm able-bodied, I'm well-educated, I came from good parents. I, could, I have to acknowledge how lucky I am in that. And at the same time, with the choice that I have, I choose things that feel good, a partner that feels good, that feels safe and secure. I choose foods that feel nourishing and full. And I chose a long time ago to stop counting anything and to stop being on a diet and to trust that my body knows what it needs. It's never going to crave two packets of Tim Tams, but my mind might, you know? And so if I say, body, do you want one? It's going to say, yeah, I want one. I want two, maybe three, but I don't need 17. You know, I can trust that it has this like this wisdom and that it's like looking out for me. I think the the result is like on every single level, it's like I've made all of these decisions that feel good. There's no dissonance. There's no battle between what I want and what I have. It's like, it just feels good. And you're really speaking to this idea of having a relationship with ourselves that is joyous and kind and intimate. And, you know, it reminds me of um, also, and again, going back to you know, ways in which women can be disembodied sometimes, separate to any assault. How often, well, me speaking personally and having heard from other women, like how often did I let a partner, like a chosen, even loved partner, enter me in sex before I was ready? You know, where it's like we don't listen to our body in those small moments. and. Like nothing should ever just be shoved inside of ourselves, including a tampon or a cup. And so I got in the habit of communicating with myself and and just asking my body, like when I was checking my cervix, you know, if I'm checking my cervix almost every day, 
you know, instead of just like mindlessly shoving my fingers in inside of myself, I'll just take a moment and I'll ask my body, is this okay? Mm. And sometimes she says no. And I can't make sense of it. And I don't know why. And I'm just practicing listening. And I'll be like, okay, I won't today. I won't check my cervix today. Or not right now. Maybe I will later. Mm -hmm. And if we just have that line of communication, there's an old Native American proverb. If you listen to your body when it whispers, you'll never have to hear it scream. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, can, how can we open up that line of communication? Asking your body, what do you want to wear today? What's going to make you feel excited? What do you want to eat? As you said, uh, you know, am I ready for penetration right now? Or is it a no? And if it's a no, do I have the confidence and the self-worth to say to the person I'm with, actually, sorry, this is, it's, it's not going to go where we thought it was going to go, you know? And that is a whole convoluted um, experience and conversation in and of itself because, again, because of the unsafety that women have experienced in our bodies mm-hmm. across history. I think what you're speaking to there is this relationship that you have with your body and it works two ways. When your body speaks, when it whispers, you listen and you take care of it. You respond. What it wants and what it needs matters. And in turn, it does everything for us. You know, if you think about how much our body does for us without us even knowing or asking, how it takes in food and breaks it down and delivers it where it needs to be, the way it, it tells you that you need to rest and then when you're resting it repairs, the way it can move things out that don't need to be there or that are harmful um, to it. There is this unbelievable intelligence that we have to honour. saw this really, really beautiful video on, on somewhere on Instagram and it was of white blood cells coming to attack a foreign cell and it just it came in and it was just you know surrounding it and consuming it and in that moment that I was like I have a whole army that goes into battle for me goes into battle for me when I don't even know it's like almost like we're here to protect the queen (laughs) you know um that you are invading and you are trying to cause her harm and we will not allow it. And our body does that for us thousands of times, mm. probably a day where it's continuously on guard to keep us alive and protect us. And and then we get caught up with acne. Mm-hmm. Of all the things that our body does for us, I think the least that we can do is is listen when when she needs something, mm-hmm. when she needs rest, when she needs a hug, when she needs to cry, when she needs to move. It's the ultimate act of love and it's about this relationship of she will keep you alive and she will provide you with legs to walk and travel the earth. She will provide you with hands to hold people that you love. She will provide you with lips and a mouth to eat delicious food and ears to hear the most incredible music. But you got to be kind to her. I'm signing up to that. <laughs> yeah. You know, they, they say, like, treat yourself as if you're someone you loved. Someone that you're responsible for. Mm. Yeah. 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 Before we wrap up, is there anything that feels 
burning that you want to touch on or go into? I could speak to you for like four more days, but <laughs> the recording equipment doesn't No, this is going good. Yeah? Yeah. We can always do it part two later. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> part three, yeah. Um, I want to end with this question. And last time I asked you this, you said something that made me ponder my existence in the shower for two months straight. So I'm excited to hear what you have to say. I'm not going to tell you what it was. <laughs> also, no pressure. Okay. <laughs> um, but I'm always excited to hear what's, what's going to come out of your mouth. If everything happens not to us but for us, and if the universe is constantly moving us through a series of initiations to allow us to grow, what is something that life has shown you about yourself lately? What has life shown me lately? I'm definitely trying to remember what I said last time. Um, Lately, what have I been learning? What I love about life is that it never gives up on us. You know, if there's a lesson that we don't learn, we're going to get the chance to learn it again and again and again and again. And we're not being punished ever. It's like we are constantly being presented with the opportunity to grow, you know, so there's no last chances. Like it's just like, okay, well, if you don't listen to your intuition now, that's all right. I'll come back. Mm. You will get another chance. Mm. And, you know, we can really, we can definitely choose our lessons subconsciously, but we can also choose our lessons consciously. I made a declaration to the universe about the kinds of lessons I'm willing to learn this year. And life is definitely providing. (laughs) I don't know what I've signed myself up for. You've got to be careful. Yeah. So careful. But it's just life gets to be magical and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that's always up to us Mm -hmm. and how we are perceiving the world. Mm -hmm. Because life isn't what happens. Life is how we perceive what happens. Life is the stories we tell. Life is my relationship to what happened. So, you know, I'm moving through some initiations right now. <laughs> like I'm in spiritual boot camp. Life is like giving me lessons and I could just feel battered by them or I can receive them and with grace, with gratitude and be like, I am experiencing this because I'm ready to expand you know like bring your ego in if you need like let it stroke your ego like wow I must be pretty I must be stronger than I thought spiritually if I'm ready for this I must be a brave soul you know and like find the empowerment choose that story that writes you as your hero and not a victim what I love so much about that is your willingness to accept this next season that it's like you are being invited into a place that's not very fun you know I often say like into the mud and there's this like radical beautiful acceptance that there is something in here that you need to go and retrieve um and I was actually I went for a little bushwalk today and there was this really really beautiful creek and it had all of these twists and these turns and it's smashing against rocks and its directions being changed. And I just watched it and it was so beautiful, especially because it was raining. It was quite powerful. And um, I remember thinking 
my God, how fun would it be to get in one of those like inflatable tubes and to just be like pulled down the stream? Like how, how fun would that be? Um, to just kind of like lay down and get pulled along and kind of maybe smash into a few rocks and it just gently nudges you along. And I realized like that's the joy of moving with life. As the stream pulls you along, there's no resistance. You get to actually soften into it. And then I immediately had this moment of like, imagine if my job was to swim up that stream. Immediately, this exact same stream I now don't want to get into. And it just depends on the direction. Am I moving with it or am I moving against it? And it sounds as though you're like, all right, I'm getting pulled down into this direction. Let me get into my inflatable tube and not resist it and just float down it and just jump into it. Oh, sometimes you've just got to batten for hatches and weather the storm. Yeah, yeah. And try, and that's again like with the wisdom that life is cyclical. It's so easy to look around, especially with with social, especially with social media, where everyone's a walking brand. Mm-hmm. You're looking at people's best moments, and it's easy to turn in on yourself and being like, "Why is everything so amazing for them? They'll have their winters. We all do." And we all move through these cycles of life at different points, you yeah. know, so that we're all experiencing something different at any given time. Yeah. But when we really understand that life is cyclical, mm-hmm. we can learn to, as you said, flow with it instead of always trying to reach for summer. Mm-hmm. We're like, it's not sustainable to be in full bloom all the time. Got to move through it. We've got to embrace the medicine of the decay yeah and the wisdom of the death like the metaphysical death what's dying right now what's being released mm-hmm. and when we can make that ceremonial like it doesn't mean we're joyous through it like ugly crying tears tantrums all of it but from the space that ultimately you know that you're held you're contained you're grounded and mm-hmm. there is purpose and meaning to this and it is sacred mm-hmm. And from that space, you come undone and you let go to it, like you die to it and like give yourself all to it. There's so many qualities that we like about ourselves that were born in that death, that were born in that darkness, this, these parts of ourselves that had to come alive to respond to that darkness. And, you know, when we understand that when we're being pulled there, it's not to die it's to give birth to these new parts of ourselves I think it just it never makes it fun and it never makes you want to go there but I think it kind of softens the blow a little bit and if we register the pattern Mm -hmm. then we can understand we can even celebrate it because we're like this means I'm on the verge Mm -hmm. of the sunrise Mm, I love this means magic is just around the corner yeah and we can, and then instead of resisting, 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 the cracking open, I always think of the acorn. Mm. Does the acorn realize as it begins to crack open that it's becoming an oak tree? Because mm. if we're just like thinking that we're cracking open and that's the end without realizing that we're actually becoming an oak tree, of course it's going to feel like a loss. Of course it's going to feel like an ending, mm. like a downgrade. Mm. You know, but if we start to see the pattern, then we can start to welcome the cracking open. Mm. That is one of the biggest gifts that we can ever give ourselves. Mm. I can't think of a more perfect place to end, permission to crack open and to feel and to grow. Um, also, the, the thing that you said to me 
Last time? Last time. Oh, yeah, I really want to know this. I know. <laughs> you said to me that your existence is a transmission. Yeah. That, and I was like, okay, English, please. Thank you very much. And you explained that in being who you are and living from a place of embodiment and truth and authenticity, that becomes a lesson for other people and an invitation for other people. And the reason that cracked me open was because sometimes, especially as a therapist, there's this desire to help people grow by reaching out to them and trying to pick it apart and do something to them, not realizing that just the way I show up can be an invitation for them to do so. How does everyone learn to walk? Just by watching the adults. Mm. It's like Mm. we are all walking transmissions. Mm And we've learned so much, like you can name a bunch of friends that taught you this about yourself or inspired you to ask for what you want or to walk a certain way or to dress a certain way you didn't think you could or whatever it is, like we're learning constantly from the people around us. And we are also giving off that transmission, like the two girls you saw in the park. Mm-hmm. They're a walking transmission for you in that moment. Yeah, They didn't even know that they're your teachers. Like mm-hmm. how incredible and magical is life? Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, it's so beautiful. This whole process here is just, it's short and it's intense, but it is just so worth being a part of. Mm. Yeah. I'm, this may sound more, but I'm really glad that it ends because I think it makes the time here imbued with meaning. You know, if it keeps going. It's the law of relativity. Exactly. Like we have a very short time. Get as much out of it as you can. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. If people want to find you, where can they find you? Uh, so my website is caitlinerica.com, mm-hmm. C-A-I-T-L-I-N-E-R-I-C-A. And my Instagram handle is at caitlinerica. Um, so yeah, find me there. Beautiful. And I'll pop that in the show notes so people can find you with ease. Beautiful. Thank you so much for having me. I love this. Thank you. Oh my God, we're doing 20 more parts, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Yogi Therapist Podcast. If you enjoyed what was discussed today, then consider subscribing and leaving a review. Check out the show notes for any additional information about what was covered here today. And you can find me at theyogitherapist.com.au or on Instagram at theyogitherapist underscore for more information on me and my therapy. Until next time.